Father God, as we come before you to hear your word preached and proclaimed, I ask that you would close our ears to any error that I may speak and open our hearts and minds to your teaching on reconciliation. Father, it is hard to reconcile with people with whom we have crossed swords. Lord, it is hard to make up. It is hard uh, when we get in a fight. It is hard to, to not be mad strangers, acquaintances, and most of all, Lord, with family with whom we have really, man, gotten into fights with. Deep wounds, deep hurts. How do we overcome them? Lord, I pray that you would help teach us what your word has to say, that you would help us to be people who become reconcilers, that we would be like your son. Father, if there is anyone here this morning that is struggling with bitterness, that is struggling with how to overcome division, Lord, I pray that you would work on us this morning, that you would work on those hearts this morning, that you would soften them, that you would open them, that you would speak to them. Lord, all of us at some point are going to come to a, to a place where we are in division someone else, but we are angry and bitter at someone else. We all have them. We all run into them. Father, help us to learn from this, these passages this morning. Help us to build a pattern of reconciliation. Help us to teach this to others. Help us to become people of the light, people who love to reconcile. People who are humble enough to say, I am sorry. Amen. I hate those words, I'm sorry. I hate those words all the time. I hate most of all saying those words to my kids. Um, I have kids. I think most parents hate that. Yeah, I could say them to my spouse a lot easier than I could say them to my kids, especially when my kids were younger. Most parents are like that. We can say I'm sorry when we bump our kids, but when you've really crossed your kids, uh, there's nothing worse than coming to your kids and saying, I am sorry. That's just like a difficult thing sometimes to say for most parents. But we've all got somebody we really don't want to say I'm sorry to. It may be a brother, it may be a sister, it may be a parent, it may be somebody. Some of us have a harder time saying I'm sorry than others. Reconciliation, uh, it, it's not something that comes easy to a lot of us, reconciling those differences. We don't always want to make up very easily. Now, for some of us, it's, it's easier to make up with strangers than family, but most of us, we have a harder time uh, on the little things, making up with acquaintances, but we can make up with family members pretty easily as long as it's a small thing. But when something becomes deep, like there's a deep wound, I don't want to make up with somebody on a deep wound. A deep thing, a deep hurt, I don't want to, I don't, that's hard. 
I mean, it's hard to forgive somebody of a deep, deep abiding wound. Some of us, and I think most in our society now, lack the skills to reconcile with acquaintances and strangers. I'm kind of seeing a vulgarity rise in our culture as we're becoming increasingly secular, especially as you get outside of areas that are uh, at least have a veneer of Christianity. There was this veneer that went over the entire culture of Christianity, and at least it kept some kind of um, some kind of common courtesy. But that courtesy is kind of disappearing, especially as the rise of iPhones come about, and most of us are burying our heads in our iPhones, and we are learning not to, to have this common courtesy. As the rise of Facebook and Instagram and Twitter comes about, and now we can, like, attack each other with our thumbs, right, from the safety of our couches and our basements and whatever else, right? I can sit at home in my underwear and just assume what kind of person you are now, right, on Twitter. I can just do that. <clears throat> I see that all the time on Facebook. Oh, this person must be like this. I assume that you're like this, and I'm just going to vomit all over. I see it happening all the time. I see it from clergy. I see it from parishioners. Yes, I do see your pages. I see it all the time. And those of you online, I see your pages as well. We do it all the time. The bishop always warns us. I see it clergy to clergy. I see it all over the place. And, and so we've lost this common courtesy. And so the ability to reconcile becomes very difficult in a large part because we often assume what the other person's thinking. We have this kind of negative self-reinforcement or this negative speech. It's more common among men than women. Uh, we, we know from psychological studies, if two women get in a fight or a woman gets in a fight with you, uh, she's going to typically say what? She's going to think, well, somebody may have had a bad day or he may have had a bad day or she may have had a bad day. And they will tend to think that way. Not everyone, that's just a generalization, but that's typically in psychological circles what we know. And men will tend to have negative self-reinforcing speech. That guy did it because he was a jerk, right? And so the Bible tells us not to let the sun go down in our anger. Now, one of the reasons is because we kind of build this up in our head and we build this up in our head. And so some people, when they go to bed, they'll start to build, they'll think about things. You ever, you ever been in that situation, right? You've gotten in a fight with somebody and you go to bed and all night long you just think about what that person was really thinking. That person was really thinking about this when they wrote or they said this thing. And then you'll go to talk to that person a few days later and you realize that person wasn't even thinking about you, right? They, they, they weren't even thinking about that thing. They, 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 may not have, they may have just said a thing flippantly, not even thinking about anything you were thinking about. And you built this up in your head. You had this negative, self-reinforcing conversation in your head. It was all made up. And so the Bible says what? We're supposed to go talk to the person. Don't let the sun go down in your anger because a lot of these fights can be undone if we would actually go talk to a person before we went to bed. If we would assume the best about another person instead of the worst about another person. Sometimes we got to give another person a break, but we don't do that in our society because we live in a perpetually angry society. And part of that is social media. It is actually designed to make us angry at one another because that keeps you coming back. That's what it's designed to do. 
That's why I encourage you not to be on Facebook that much. It's not a great thing. It's designed, it's made to keep you addicted. If you're on Facebook all the time, try getting off of it. And if you can't stop yourself from getting on it, ask yourself why. It's designed to make you addicted. It's designed to keep you angry and coming back. Now, when something goes really wrong at a deeper level with friends and family, and by really wrong, I mean one or both parties really wrongs one another, reconciliation can become seemingly impossible. So we have this thing with acquaintances. But when you get to family and friends and something goes wrong at a deeper level, Reconciliation gets a lot tougher, and yet Jesus calls us to do just this. In fact, in, in both passages, he's talking about that. The Lord's Prayer, which we say each and every week, says this. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And Jesus is teaching us this. He teaches us to pray this. Forgive as we forgive others. Right? Right? I mean, that's a pretty deep statement. We, we kind of blow through the Lord's Prayer as if it's a shallow thing, and yet it's not a shallow thing. That's why we have you memorize it for confirmation next week. It seems like an easy thing, but it's not an easy thing. It's actually a deep thing. We say it all the time. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass or sin against us. The Greek word is a martia, sin. Do you forgive others their sins against you? Or are you a person who holds grudges? This is the standard that Jesus puts before you. Forgive. We ask God to forgive as we forgive others their sins against us. Jesus is teaching us to pray that the Father will forgive us with exactly the same measure with which we forgive others. So forgiveness and reconciliation would seem to be a critical part of the gospel of Jesus. Why? How are we as Christians supposed to understand this? That's what we're going to look at this morning. So our two passages this morning have a lot to say about reconciliation. Now one is from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and the other is from an explanation from the Apostle Paul. In it, Paul states this, 2 Corinthians 5, 16-17. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So Paul is setting the parameters for how we as believers are called to see one another. He's speaking in particular to the Corinthians and telling him that this is how Timothy and Paul, who are the authors of this letter... View you. View others. This is how we are. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. And by extension, because Paul is an apostle and Timothy is going to be a bishop, that this is, and they're teachers, they're teaching you, they're teaching the congregation, by extension you all, everyone who comes afterwards, that this is how we are called to see other people. Do you see other people in Christ who have come to Christ as new creations? Or do you see them as old creations? See, we are called to see people with new eyes. And that's what Paul is saying here. See them as new creations.
The explanation is thus. You and I are in Jesus, and as such, we are changed. We are transformed, and we are no longer what we once were. The thing that we were before we were saved as a person enslaved by sin, we are no longer that person. We were one thing. We were slaves. We are now no longer that slave. That person in Jesus, the old person, has passed away in Jesus. That person is dead. And that is exactly what Paul and Timothy are saying here. The old is past. In the Greek, we read this. Idu, gegone, kaina, tapanta. You all understood what that meant, right? Right? One of you did. Literally, it says this. Behold, has come new the all, the whole. What he's saying is the whole new thing has come. Ido, behold. It's an exclamation point. He's saying this, behold, get excited about this. Behold, right? Behold, the new, the whole thing has come. You are entirely, that entirely new creation. Behold, glory in this. This is an exciting thing. And you are to see one another in this fashion. Everyone who is in Jesus is this new creation. Therefore, we are called to see them in a new light as we are also seen in a new light by God. What implications might this have for how you and I are called to treat one another? Think about that. If you're seen in a new light by God, and they're also in a new light, then what implications does this have for how you are called to treat one another? Think about that for a second. Paul goes on. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses. Again, amartia, this is another word for sin. Not counting their sins against them and entrusting us the message of, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So you notice this, reconciliation. Christ was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So Christ's ministry is about reconciliation. He's reconciling the world to himself. The world was at war with God. You Apart from Christ, before you come to Christ, did you know you're at war with God? That's what sin is. Sin is rebellion against God. We are naturally at a state of rebellion against God. Right? That's what we naturally do. 
It's intricately woven into who we are. And yet, when we come to Christ, reconciliation is intricately woven into who we are because it's intricately woven into who Christ is. Christ came to reconcile the world to himself, and therefore we are called to be reconcilers. We are as Christ is, and we are called to be little Christ. That's what Christian means. You are called to be reconcilers. Reconciliation was a key part of Christ's ministry, reconciling the world to himself, reconciling the world to the Father. Christ is the one who reconciles us sinners to God. And so we are called also then to imitate Christ. Jesus is God's effort to reconcile us to him. And we see how far God was willing to go in Jesus. And to see how far God was willing to go, how to, uh, how to reconcile, to see how far he was willing to go, we only need to look to Jesus. And so when we look to Jesus, we see this, that God was willing to give up that which he had been with for eternity, that which was closest to him, that which was in union with him, that he was willing to separate himself from Jesus, that Jesus was willing to empty himself of his godhood, whatever that was, right? We learned that in Philippians. And become like us, he humbled himself by giving up some of whatever that was. Become like us, live as us, be tortured uh, and die on our behalf. God saw his son suffer and die for us. This was the extent to which God was willing to go through and the son was willing to go to to reconcile, to make peace, to come to terms with us. This is the kind of God we serve. The God who spoke the universe into being however he did it. Remember, he's anthropomorphizing. He's, he's He's talking to us like we would talk to a little two-year-old. We don't know how God did everything. We always look for these explanations. But he's too big for us. So it's kind of like God just doing this. Hey, little guy, this is how I did it. You're so cute. You would like to know how I did it? This is so awesome. But I'm a great physicist. <laughs> You're such a cute little guy. Do you really think that you can match an omniscient, omnipresent guy? But, but I just figured out this great math formula. That's right, you did. He's always trying to explain to us in a way that we can understand. He's greater than us. He's bigger than us. But we know that God was willing to do this for us. That no matter how powerful he is, he speaks suns and galaxies into being. He was willing to humble himself for us. So then how much more should you be willing to humble yourself for those who sinned against you? That's the question that Paul is putting before you. Think of that person who has wronged you in the extreme. No matter what they've done. And some people here, no doubt, have had some pretty dark things done to them. Some of us may not have had that. 
but some of us have had some pretty dark things done. But God has still endured more. He still endured more. And he was willing to go through those lengths to reconcile with us. How much more are we called to reconcile with one another? He understands at a deep level what it is to reconcile. See, Paul and Timothy are showing us that when it comes to reconciliation, you and I are not only called to reconcile with those whom we are at odds, we're called to forgive at a deep level. And this drive to reconcile is not simply to be extended to friends and family. It's a part of who we are because it's a part of who Jesus is. So our drive to reconciliation should be extended to all of our relationships. We are called to be the people of the light, which means the people of Jesus. As the people of Jesus are called to reach out to those with whom we have crossed swords, meaning all of those with whom we are at odds. Whether or not we are angry at them because of what they've done to us, or they are angry at us because of what we've done to them, regardless of whether they are close to us or not, we are called to be people who reconcile. Again, I don't like that truth. Do you? I don't like it. There are lots of passages in Scripture where I want to turn the page. I just do. This makes me uncomfortable. I don't mind reconciling with you when I like you. When I don't like you, I do not want to reconcile with you. I just don't. It's yucky. Some people aren't very nice. I mean, I'm a pretty nice guy. I can understand that. You probably all want to reconcile with me, but I do not want to have to reconcile with unnice people. Right? You can understand that. That's exactly right. Now, this is sometimes easier with somebody we know. Sometimes it's hard with an acquaintance. You know, if Johnny and Juan get into a fight in church, I see this all the time in churches, especially in bigger churches. Johnny and Juan don't know each other very well. Uh, Johnny is offended by Juan. And so, and I'll talk to Johnny about that. Johnny will come running to me and say, Juan did X to me, and I'm really mad at Juan. And I'll say, well, then go talk to Juan. I want you to go talk to Juan. Uh, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you need to go talk to Juan. I don't want to talk to Juan. Juan offended me. Uh-huh. Then go talk to him. I don't know him very well. And yet, he offended you. And the Bible says, go talk to Juan. I don't want to. And so Johnny and Juan will stay offended at one another. Well, excuse me. Johnny will stay offended at Juan. Juan may not even know it. But because he's an acquaintance, you won't go talk to him. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says, go and try to reconcile. And so you see this kind of thing all the time. And in the church, this resentment will build and build and build until one of two things happens. Either one day, Johnny will blow up at Juan for no reason in some parish meeting or some church meeting or something like that. Johnny will teach his kids to hate Juan's family, and the whole family will just kind of be at odds. Johnny will just leave and go to some other church where because he's now learned this pattern of uh, whenever I get mad at some acquaintance, I just get mad, pick up my toys, and leave. 
And, th and then he'll go to the next church, and then he'll get mad at somebody else. And then he'll leave and pick up his toys and go, and then he'll get mad at somebody else, and then he'll leave. Right? Or he'll start acting out, and then Juan will start getting mad at Johnny, and then the fight will keep on going and going and going, and they'll start causing division in the entire church. But what if? We saw the one we were upset with as Paul told us to see them. What if we saw them in the same light as Jesus did and understood that as we forgive them, so our Father forgives us? As Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, 14 to 15, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. This is the, one of the hardest things in Scripture. If you do not forgive others, neither will your father forgive you. What does that say about the person who picks up their toys and leaves? Not accepted. That's what the Lord's Prayer says. How much worse when the wound is deep and the divide is so wide in a family or with friends. The, deep, the wound is so deep that the problem forms a chasm. The problem isn't a small or slight irritation, but it's a major wound. And big wounds happen. Family fights or fights between friends can get quite ugly. Words can be said that we deeply regret. Family members can steal from one another. Spouses or friends can cheat on or betray one another. All sorts of dark things can happen. These things can happen in one fell swoop, or maybe it's a death by a thousand cuts. And one day you've simply had enough. The point is the divide is awful. The hatred is large, and you wonder how can you begin to reconcile such a thing? It's not just Johnny and Juan, Jeff. It's something deep. How can I forgive what was done to me? Because what was done to me was so deep and so dark. How can it ever be forgiven? In this clergy, we've heard lots and lots of deep, dark things. But you need to reconcile for all the same reasons. You should start with the same basic understanding that's gotten us to the point that's gotten us to this point so far. But these reasons require something much more substantial, much more deep, if you will. You see, when we say the Lord's Prayer as a child, we think of it as a simple thing. We don't really connect it to Matthew 6, 14 to 15. We don't fully grasp that if we don't forgive, neither will God forgive us. And these passages are connected to our passage in 2 Corinthians and our gospel passage this morning. You have heard it said to those of old in Matthew 5, 21 to 24, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So Jesus isn't saying that all anger is wicked, by the way. But there is a righteous anger. He drives the money changers out because they're doing a wicked thing. So some anger is good. He's saying that the anger that leads to hatred, which are the seeds of murder, or the murder commandment, is bad. So the passage is one of the passages where we get that you cannot come to communion in a state of unforgiveness. We say this all the time. It's called fencing the table. 
The passage requires us to reconcile before we take communion. You cannot take communion in a state of sin or in a state of unforgiveness. That is a sin. Why do we do that? Because we understand that the Lord does not forgive if you do not forgive. Because you cannot be united to Christ or the body of Christ if you are in dissension with another believer or in a state of hatred. Why? 1 John 4.16 So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. How can you have hate and abide in hate and still be abiding in God? You cannot. And so it must be given up. We simply cannot dwell in a state of intentional unreconciliation and be dwelling in God. You can't do it. That's what he's saying here. And we'll end with this. You have to forgive. We have to seek to reconcile our differences before you can receive communion. We, we can't receive communion in unreconciliation. We're called to work out our differences and to come to peace. That's what God wants you to do. We are called to be at peace with our brothers and sisters. And to do that, you need to see them as Christ sees them. He gave himself to reconcile them to God. You need to see them as Christ sees them, with the love that Christ sees them. That no matter how enslaved they are to sin, God still loved them enough to send his son to save them. And you need to attempt to reconcile. Now, if they don't want to reconcile, then that's on them. You've at least tried. And then you can come to the altar.